We are twin brothers who grew up Atari, or as we call it, in the vertical blank. Technically, the vertical blank is the space between the last line of the current frame and the first line of the next, where off-screen calculations create a cathode ray tube display. It exists, literally, between the lines, invisible, yet all-seeing, in a void where magic occurs that is never seen, only experienced. It is the figurative location of our existential longing for the past and attempts to bridge it to the present and the future. The vertical blank is an omniscient force containing the nuances that make our nostalgia a reality. It's the transcendental location that holds our best memories, biggest joys, greatest fears, and our most terrible losses. You've been warned. You can stop this tape now and turn around. For once you've entered, there may be no escape. All the scan lines have been written. It's time to enter the vertical blank. Into the vertical blank. Select Introduction Mode Start. Hello, this is 8 Bit Jeff here. I'd like to welcome you to Episode 7, Season 1 of Into the Vertical Blank Generation Atari. Today's episode is entitled Playing Together Side by Side. It includes a gameplay session by Steve and I talking about our favorite Atari 2600 games that we played side by side, but also goes back in time about our pre-digital days. And then we have a super treat, an interview with Jamie Lindino, the author of both Breakout, about the Atari 800 computers, and Adventure, about the Atari 2600. Select Story Mode Start. This is a story that I wrote about some of my very first memories of being a kid, an analog kid. This is called Big Mouse and Little Mouse 1.0. It was a summer afternoon in the mid-1970s. TV programming had morphed from morning game shows into midday soap operas, which meant the time had arrived to find something else to do. Midday TV was a barren landscape for several hours until Looney Tunes fired up again at about 3.30. Until then, it was time to play outside. I ran out of the house with my brother close behind me. 
screen door slammed against the side of our Southern California bungalow. We never used the front door. The doorknob was broken and only the deadbolt worked. The only people that ever came to the front door were salespeople, complaining neighbors, or the police to follow up on a noise complaint. So we knew to be cautious when answering if anyone knocked. Right outside the side door was our driveway. It extended 100 feet, crawling up a modest hill just off the street, then jetting back past the house, past our backyard, and straight to the detached garage. My brother chased me out the door with his disc shooter, a plastic gun bought a few days earlier from the Lucky Supermarket toy aisle. It shot little round spinning discs of various colors at middling speed. Small enough to hit you in the eye or get lodged in your throat, but not fast enough to do any real lasting damage. 211 in progress, Adam 12, my brother called out as he continued his pursuit of the perp, me. I was armed with my pellet gun, also from the grocery store. Instead of discs, it shot yellow BB-sized rubber balls. They were not as reliable as the discs, but the ammo was cheaper and the fire rate was a lot higher. My brother shot two discs my way. One missed completely, passing by me into the enormous wave of ivy that separated our house from Mr. Poe's house, lost forever. The second one was a direct hit, bouncing harmlessly off my t-shirt, hitting the faded silkscreen motorcycle just under the words, do it in the dirt, appropriate for a six-year-old. I did not fire back. Instead, I ran to the front yard and tucked myself behind the ivy-covered front lamppost. As my brother ran past, I took a couple shots. One whizzed by his head and the other dribbled out of the front of my gun, harmlessly dropping to my feet below. My brother dove into a dirt patch in the front yard, rolled over, and pulled the trigger of his disc gun. What should have been a decisive blow misfired, the disc getting caught in the plastic mechanism. Wait, 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 unfair, he said as he tried to unjam his gun. I aimed at him and shot three more plastic pellets. One bounced off his head, the others missed, hitting the dirt in the front yard. As he frantically tried to get his weapon back in working order, I took one more shot, but nothing came out. My gun jammed too. Let's play emergency, I suggested. Yeah! We put our guns on the front porch and made our way to the garage at the end of the driveway. The garage was open, as always. I pulled my Radio Flyer mini red wagon out of the storage space next to my older sister's green Schwinn with banana seat and yanked the handle until it turned around and came out of the garage. I checked the supplies in the wagon. A piece of garden hose, metal fishing tackle box, walkie-talkie with no batteries, hammer, saw, an army helmet liner, and a plastic machine gun. All the things a good paramedic might need. I'll crash the motorcycle, my brother said. As he got onto his orange Sears catalog bike, he pedaled it back down the driveway and took a right turn when he reached the front yard, disappearing into the front of the house. Within a few seconds, I heard the cry, Motorcycle crash! I jumped into my wagon, grabbing the handle and pulling it back so I could steer. With one leg curled up in the wagon and the other outside, pushing against the driveway, Squad 51 raced to the scene of the accident. I drove swiftly down the driveway with my siren blaring until I reached the front yard. I turned onto the dirt patch in front of the lamppost. At that point, I needed to switch to four-wheel drive, so I jumped out of the wagon and pulled it across the lawn to the scene of the accident. 
When I arrived, I assessed the damage. The orange bike was on top of my brother, and he moaned for help. The motorcycle is on fire, I yelled, as I took the hose from my fire engine and turned it on full blast. I made a spraying sound with my mouth as water doused the motorcycle blaze. When the fire was out, I took a look at the casualties. I pulled the bike off my brother and sat down next to him with the tackle box in hand. I have the first aid kit, I said as I moved toward the victim. What hurts? My leg, my brother whispered to me as he started to move it around. I pulled the walkie-talkie out of the squad. Rampart, this is Squad 51, I said into it. This is Rampart, my brother responded in a deep voice as he still laid in the ground. Go ahead, 51. Rampart, we have a male victim here, age six. His name is Big Mouse. His vital signs look okay, but his leg is a real mess. Copy that, Squad 51. Stabilize the leg. Administer an IV with D5W and transport as soon as possible. I put the walkie-talkie down. My brother sat up. Okay, my turn to be Squad 51. Wait, let's play motocross instead, I replied. I ran back to the garage to get my bike, nearly identical to my brother's. I jumped on and started riding down the driveway into the street and then up to about even with Mr. Poe's driveway next door. Jeff followed me. We locked our wheels into position in the middle of the street about 100 feet from our own driveway. The gate falls, my brother yelled, and we both started pedaling furiously, picking up speed with every turn of the little gears. I edged him for the lead. I turned into the driveway first, but instead of riding straight, I hit it at an angle and went straight for the half-buried tree root next to the top corner of the driveway. I pulled back the handlebars as my bike hit the root, and my bike flew a foot or so in the air. I'm Evil Knievel! I landed on both wheels with my brother just behind me. I turned sharply in the front yard. Dirt spit all over the porch as my wheels dug into the ground below. My turn was too sharp. Instead of making the quick loop back towards the driveway, I got stuck, jackknifed near the little retaining wall that separated our yard from our neighbor's driveway. My brother, who had made a much less ambitious jump, pedaled right past me turned onto the driveway and rode back towards the garage, crossing the earthquake crack driveway finish line before I could untangle my bike and get out of the front yard. We parked our bikes in the garage and then I went and pulled Squad 51 back into the garage as well. Jeff pulled down the garage door. The rusted springs holding the solid wood portal creaked as they slowly lowered down. As the door closed in place with a loud, echoing thud, he called out the next game. Tennis racket baseball! I ran into the house and found my mom's old tennis racket stored in her closet. We'd never seen her use it for actual tennis, so one day we asked her to use it and never gave it back. My mom didn't seem to mind at all. I also retrieved our small orange Nerf ball that came from the over-the-door Nerf basketball hoop we got for our birthday. The ball was now covered in dirty masking tape, which made it much easier to hit while still remaining soft on the inside. I took all the equipment back outside, threw my brother the ball, and then stood on the long driveway crack that stretched from the ivy to the back corner of our house. Dusty Baker up to bat, I said. I instinctively knew the names of each Dodger player and their relative position in the lineup. It was like second nature. Jeff tossed the Nerf ball at me, and I swung the tennis racket as hard as possible. I twisted it just at the wrong time, slicing the ball with the side, grazing the masking tape. The ball popped up where my brother caught it easily. One out. 
You won't beat Ron Say so easily, I told him, as I got back into the earthquake crack batter's box. I was right. Ron Say struck the ball solidly that time. It flew over my brother's head and hit the top of the garage on a fly ball. A triple for Ron Say! I cried. Next up, Steve Garvey hit a liner right to my brother. He flinched, but he also knew that the masking tape that allowed us to hit the ball so hard had a soft underbelly of Nerf material. He recovered in time to catch the ball. Two outs! Dave Lopes at bat, I said, with Rick Monday on deck. It was up to Dave Lopes, the Dodgers cleanup hitter. Jeff tossed the ball again. He knew not to throw too hard because that only meant I could hit it back even harder. A soft, slow pitch meant he would have to swing really hard to get any kind of base hit. I swung and hit the ball square in the center of the racket. It flew right past Jeff, hitting the garage door. Davey Lopes hits a double, I yelled, and Ron Say runs in from third base. The Dodgers are up 1-0. Bill Russell's grounder was easily scooped up by Jeff, ending the Dodgers inning and the Angels came up to bat. I stood back about eight feet as Jeff took a few practice swings with his tennis racket. The Dodgers were up one to zero and I need to get out of this inning unscathed. First up, Don Baylor with Bobby Bonds on deck, Jeff said. We both knew the Angels just as well as the Dodgers. I pitched a slow, underhanded blooper to Don Baylor. My brother used his patented upswing and hit the ball right past me. It touched the ground before it hit the garage for a single. As I fetched the ball and returned to the oil spot, pitcher's mound, I threw Bobby Bonds a pitch with a little twist, making it not so easy to hit. Jeff swung at it and grazed the side. The tape-covered Nerf ball rolled right at me. Out number one, I said, secretly proud of the stuff I put on the ball so Jeff couldn't hit it. Dan Briggs hit a high flyer that I caught right next to the garage, which meant the next batter would probably decide the inning. Dave Chalk enters the batter's box. Hey, batter, batter, hey, batter, batter, I said, mimicking the taunts I heard watching the Maricosta High School baseball team practice on the field a few blocks from our house. Jeff took more practice swings, then got into batter stance, just like my dad had taught us up at the elementary school. Knees bent, tennis racket held at an angle behind his head, bouncing a bit on his knees, anticipating the pitch. I thought about pitching him another twist ball, but I wanted to surprise him first. I figured if I threw him something fast, he'd miss it. Then maybe on the next pitch, he'd swing too early, anticipating a fast pitch and hit a grounder. Pitching in baseball felt a bit like the chess games my dad played with me. He taught me to always think about the next move, as well as the one you were making on that turn. I threw an underhanded fastball, and I saw Dave Chalk swing just as the ball neared him. I was sure he would miss, but I was wrong. Jeff hit the masking tape so hard, a piece flew off the Nerf ball as it sailed above me, far above the garage and into the back backyard. Dave Chalk homers, Jeff yelled, dancing in place a bit. Don Baylor is an RBI and the Angels are up two to one. For me, the game fell over. I thought about what to do next. Into the spaceship, I yelled. My brother dropped my mom's tennis racket and ran over towards the backyard. Into the spaceship, my brother yelled. We both jumped into the front of the white milk delivery truck parked in our backyard. Parked is a kind word for how it sat. It had been there for years and never moved. Because of rotted holes in the roof and its position sitting under the canopy of our Chinese elm tree, it was covered and filled with sticks and leaves. One back tire was missing. The others had long since deflated and began to give themselves back to the earth. We both got into the cab brushing aside clumps of leaves quickly enough to both clear the seats and not see what creatures might be hiding in them. I grabbed the steering wheel by its rotting hand grips. 
Rocket launch to space, my brother called from the co-pilot seat. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. We have ignition. In unison, we both shot backwards in our seats. I twisted the steering wheel side to side in an attempt to steady our ship during flight. The engines roared. Have we left the atmosphere? I asked my navigator. Close. Oh no, we're breaking up. Crash landing, crash landing, crash landing. It's time to jump, I instructed. We both motioned to put on our parachutes. Then we got into position, holding onto the frame of the missing doors on each side of our ship. Ready, set, go. The free fall only lasted a fraction of a second. When I hit the ground, I rolled into a pile of leaves, just missing a bundle of branches left from the tree trimming a few days prior. Time to make an assault on the planet, I yelled. We grabbed our identical red flashlight laser guns and crept into the jungle planet behind our garage. This was an area our family had dubbed the Back Back, as it was the second backyard on our property. Situated behind the garage and attached to a mother-in-law unit, it was a 20 by 50 wild area filled with giant stalks of bamboo with leaves that tasted like licorice, wild reams of jungle grass grown over attempts at gardening, plus old toys, logs, and rusted tools long lost to the uncontrollable nature. My dad made a valiant attempt to tame it every summer, but the area always fought back with an untamable, ferocious vigor. In the desert climate of the South Bay beach town in which we resided, it looked and felt like another world. I put my hand in my mouth and talked to my radio. <laughs> I made the sound of radio being turned on with my mouth. Okay, Big Mouse, let's explore this place. <laughs> my brother responded, his hand up to his mouth, talking through his fingers. Little Mouse, I don't see anything yet. At some point early in our lives, my brother and I began calling each other Big Mouse and Little Mouse. The names did not connote to anything in the real world, not to our relative size, nor even especially to animals we liked. They were of unexplainable origins, and we used them while imagining games and new worlds together. For all I know, the nicknames went all the way back to when we were twins in the womb. We crept through the stalks of bamboo, holding our guns out in front of us, at the ready to fight any space monsters we might find. This could be the planet of the apes, I whispered. I don't know, Big Mouse whispered back. That doesn't look like an ape to me. He pointed towards a set of green eyes sitting in a round clump of wild grass. An alien monster. White Paw, one of our two cats, blinked her eyes back at us. We flashed our lasers at the beast. Keep firing, Little Mouse called out. We switched our flashlights on and off at White Paw until she had enough. She got up, stretched, and scampered further back into the wild brush. Alien threat destroyed, Big Mouse said. Return to the ship, Little Mouse replied. We bolstered up and carefully pushed our way back through the bamboo stalks to the stairs that led back down, out of the back back. We passed our spaceship, but didn't climb back inside. Let's play Green Berets, I called out. We dropped our laser weapons in the red wagon and pulled back to the garage staging area to get ready for battle. I took my machine gun out, green plastic with a motor inside that made a rattling noise when I pulled the trigger. My brother got his from the front of the garage. The soldiers were ready for battle. We skulked our way down the driveway to the battle lines in the front yard. I blazed the trail first, hiding behind the lamppost near the front of the house. My squad mate held his position behind the broken down red rambler in the driveway, waiting for my hand signal to show that the coast was clear. I peered out from behind the lamp to the enemy outpost across the street. Nothing. I motioned for my brother to come forward as I shifted my position to just behind the rightmost tree of the front yard. For safety, 
I pointed the barrel of my gun out first, my eyes not far behind. Across the asphalt river, I saw what I was looking for. The enemy. My brother joined me behind the tree. Enemy spotted, I whispered to him. We both looked around the tree at the same time so I could point out the targets in the distance. There, I said as I pointed them out. Across the street, a fifth grade girl and her friend were sunning themselves on lawn chairs, wearing sunglasses and red lipstick, reading magazines and sipping beverages from clear plastic cups. I quietly nodded to my brother. Engage, I whispered. Roger, little mouse, came the reply. At once, my brother and I peppered the enemy with bullets. Illuminating tracers were followed by piercing machine gun rounds. The assault was ineffective. The rattling, firing noise of the guns only alerted the enemy to our presence. They both looked up from their magazines, stunned by the sudden sound of an ambush, but not able to pinpoint the source of the attack. It took a couple minutes for them to notice the little boys firing toy guns at them from across the street, ruining their day in the sun. Oh, gross, one said lobbing a verbal grenade in our direction. What little nerds, the other replied, dodging our barrage. Then in unison, they both went back to the magazines and did not look up again. We continued to fire, but our rounds could not penetrate their armor. Full retreat. The afternoon had arrived in earnest. Time for cartoons. Might have been pretending to battle girls when we were six years old, but just a couple years later, we would owe our love of Atari to a girl our age named Carrie and her divorced mom, who bought her an Atari VCS. But that's a story for another time. Select play game mode. Start. Hi, this is Steve. We came over to Jeff's house today so we could start discussing the origins of play. Play between twins, and a lot of our play happened on the Atari 2600 as we like to play games together. So we're going to talk about some of our favorite games that we play together. We want to start exploring play. So the thing is, when we started playing Atari, it wasn't about sitting in your basement playing games alone. It was all about playing things together with other people. And this episode, we're going to explore play as we saw it, as playing together, not apart. And so we're going to look at some of our favorite games on the Atari 2600 that we played together. We spent our, a lot of the last episode talking about stuff that had nothing to do with Atari. But it did have to do with Atari. It's just a different sort of technological experience. But this is about play together. So the first game we probably played against each other, with each other, on a Atari 2600 was Combat. This is, a, and I think this is just a regular. Is this just game number one? Yeah. No, this is game number eight or something. Well, I don't. Oh, well, if it, oh you can shoot. Oh, okay. this is the steering one. Oh, you can steer your shots. Yeah. Oh. 
So the one thing on combat wasn't fair was that you didn't restart at the same positions again after you died. You could you could just uh, you could just bl- if you were right next to somebody you should just shoot them and, and shoot with this them and scary one you can do some funny stuff too. So, um, so I mean, with our play, you know, instantly with combat, it was basically um, the same stuff we were doing outside, right? Well, I say like we would we would play guns outside, but you know the argument was always who hit who, right? And and combat. Literally solved that problem, yeah. right? There's the, no the Atari, question. Anything else. And one of the so so like combat was kind of like playing, you know, a lot of the outside games that we would play. Um, but now you could actually I'll have give a you chance. an advantage because I'm winning. I'm going to take out this retro joystick and put in the other okay. original Atari. Well, I'm going to shoot the you. Joystick. Size. Okay. You know what retro. I also like about this is the way that your tank does like fly backwards too. So you do have a chance. So Jess is cool because you are, you know, a little bit feels a little bit like asteroids Except, the way um, or space war, but oh, oh space war! But uh, in space war we did get not right away. We got <laughs> space war a long time later, like as a bargain game at like Kmart. Or something oh yeah, like it cost like three bucks. Yeah, it was like we're looking for games for the twenty six hundred. It was hard to find anything that we didn't have that was out that was relatively cheap. And we got space war. I like space war. It's it's fun. It's fun. You were just chasing the hell cool. out of me. You know? Well, because yeah, yeah, you're a better. I, I'm I'm a better tank commander. Uh, oh, I got you. You're a better jet fighter. So interesting about I think about jet uh, t- planes is like this. This is this sort of took us beyond what we could play outside. Like we would never, we would never pretend to play play anything like like jets. Right? Tanks is closer to us running around tanks and playing is, guns. Yeah, this you can is, hide behind stuff. And, you can't hide in your jets. You are you just keep going. So we probably played this. Many times on ourselves and and at Target. I say at Target, we probably played at Target more. Now, but Target. I think we when we got our Atari, since the it had we had break this after it kicked off, we got it. We brought it back to Jimco the next day, which is just a, a really disappointing day um, on the day after Christmas. And I'm sure Dad was really happy to go to Jimco the day after Christmas <laughs> um, after he paid what was a king's ransom for this machine, like. Equivalent of what? How much money now? Oh, it's like five hundred, almost four hundred dollars. Yeah. So four hundred fifty dollars, something like and, that. And buying a color TV to go to play it on, and and uh, anyway, he didn't buy a color TV to play it on. Yeah, they bought the he bought a Hitachi. Oh, for TV? the front room. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize he bought a color TV. Yeah, that was a little bit. Yeah, it was a little bit before. I anyway, mean, whatever it was, it was a king's ransom to get this twenty six hundred going. Yeah. And um, oh, he had bought that before. He bought that. Maybe he got it at the same time. That was a present he bought for himself. Yes, I don't know, but um, in any case, we were playing color. Right. Um, so that's combat. I mean, that was sort of the first game we played. But let's, you know, what would be kind of cool is um, let's try basketball. Basketball, okay. okay. Because basketball is another example of like something we would have played outside, right? And you know, it's a one-on-one. It's it's a totally like an impressionistic version of basketball, which is just like the games we made up in the driveway. Which is why I think like it was so easy to translate our playing as twins to playing on the twenty-six hundred. And basketball's actually I have in box. That's cool. Goes the other way. Well, it does. Yeah, retro. Yeah, retro on the cart is going backwards. And we'll go to reset. Was this one by David Crane also? I think Alan Miller. Or Alan Miller, okay. Um, that's, this is where Arata comes in and tells us. Thanks for the cue, boys. I never would have found it if you hadn't said it and left that 10 seconds of empty space for me to fill. Atari VCS Basketball, CX 2624, 
was released in 1977 and was indeed designed and programmed by the acclaimed Alan Miller. Yeah. <laughs> I got the ball. I like the dribbling. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't feel like one-on-one, Larry Bird versus Matt. I can't get all the way to you. Oh! It's actually okay. not. That's, that's not as far as I can go. I can't go all the way to yeah, yeah. Oh, you scored. Yeah, it's not as good as one-on-one. Um, but it is 3D. I mean, it's <coughs> it does have this tra- trapezoidal cord. I mean, how he did this, the, 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 the trapezoid is actually um, the missiles. Oh, it is? Yeah, just showing over and over again down the side because there's no way oh, you can you make stole that it from me. trapezoid cord. And the ball is actually, I think it's the ball, du- du- the ball in the actual ball. quadruple size, yeah. Because the sprites are double size. Oh, I mean, you're beating me like you beat me on a regular basketball court. That's why this is a lot like real life here, Steve. It's just like real life. <laughs> Except for I, when I got, I would get tired and then you would start ah. shooting. Just like what happened on the basketball court. I would beat you for a little while and then I'd get really tired because I used up all my energy. Right. And then you would just start taking those shots that I That's couldn't finish. Yeah, the oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I couldn't block. Ah! My eternal goal of us playing basketball was me slam dunking. <laughs> and I did it one time and you didn't see. Oh, you know, I saw. I just pretend like I didn't see. I mean, this is on a, a basket. This is like, you know, two foot under the basket. Not like not like when we were, not like with a... Uh, right, it was like a Nerf ball. It was actually basket. playing. No, this is the, that was nine and a, that was nine and a half feet. Ah! So it was cl- about as close as I would ever get to slam dunking on a Glory days, Jeff. Just want to talk about his glory days. No, I, I, yeah, <laughs> I want to talk about scoring the winning goal against uh, against uh, against Latino United too in our soccer. <laughs> I am now coming back. You are coming back because I got tired again. Oh, oh, you got it again. And what is the ten ten? What's the winning score? Oh, it's just, I don't know. You just played it two minutes and it's over. Jeff, we we win by just playing. By just playing, right? We, it, that's the reward is the play. Okay, it's playing together is the reward. I like that the, that you do granny every shot though. Really, I mean, when you're under the basket, you're granny. You know what? Shot. I think saying calling a granny Gran- shot is pretty offensive. <laughs> it is at this offensive. Point. What do they call? What's a good name for it though? Now I, mean, I don't know. It's how did, under like, Wilt Chamberlain used to shoot his free throws? Something that's called Wilt. No, 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 no. They taught Wilt Chamberlain to shoot his free throws. <laughs> This that, way, but, but he could, refused to do it. That was a Malcolm Gladwell story. Oh, really? Where, yeah, I think it was Will Chamberlain. He refused to shoot him underhand, even though he was weird, really good at it. So, um, so what should we call shooting free throws? Shooting underhand? Because I bet there's some grannies out there who could kick your ass mom, at basketball. Mom was so much better than dad at basketball. Yeah. But she did shoot that way. But she could shoot regular sh- jump shots too, kind of yeah, set I, shots. And but dad couldn't shoot. Dad did shoot everything as a um, an underhand shot. So you're right. There are grannies who could kick my ass best. I mean, honestly, you should call this like that's like an executive Actually, shot. I'm Most a, like I'm a grandpa now, kind of not really, not, real, not really, but I'm kind of I could be someone's grandpa. So I, that's why why should you ever seen too. like corporate executives try to play basketball? Yes, we should call it CEO shot. CEO shot. Really, exactly. Those are the guys who don't yeah, actually know CEOs, how to play. Though, no, they they like some of the CEOs are brutal at it though too. They're like you know if you don't let them win they kick your ass. There's something wrong with this joystick. Yeah, but you can jump near the basket and I was kind of thinking that maybe you could block it and do like no, that you thing. can't. Well, this is I mean I actually am enjoying this a lot yeah, because you came back. I forgot you came back. So what should we do next? Let's try it. from what about, uh, box games because I have a billion games. What about box. what about Canyon Bomber? Let's try Canyon um, Bomber. So we played. I know we went over to we didn't have this originally. I don't even know if we bought it, but I remember going over to Carrie, Carrie. Lenahan's house. Yeah. Who was the first place we played Atari 2600 well, years before we had our own, probably 1978. And I remember 
us going up there before we went to CCD one day and her having a brand spanky new Canyon Bomber box that they must, I don't know where they bought it Here from. Here is a Canyon Bomber box that says, it says Tiny Tots twenty one ninety five on the side. Tiny Tots 21, that's like, that's like original price. Tiny Tots Inc. is, is imprinted inside the oh, box wow. too. And it has, they actually have the Canyon Bomber um, instruction. This is a... This cart doesn't even have a label on it. I gotta say, I should replace it with one of my labeled carts. All right, let's try it. I don't remember much about Canyon Bomber, although I I, I do remember liking it. Like it was, it reminded me of the opposite of Breakout somehow, where you were dropping bombs down. Uh, these take a little while yeah. to break. Yeah, I heard because it doesn't it copy the ROM. Is it, is it, it doing a ROM copy? temporarily, and they're trying to run it off. Yeah, we're playing right? again. We're playing on the Retron seventy seven to see how this will work. Come up yet. We're playing two player games. Because I'm gonna have to pull out my when we first when we first started playing video games, it was all about playing together. Right. It's different now when people play lots of games apart. Playing together is very important to us, and that's why we're playing two-player games. Right. Canyon Bomber has to actually work. Let me find a Canyon Bomber. Do you have a Video Olympics? Oh, surround. Bring over surround. That game is the shit. That multiplayer surround on the Atari Vault online. That game is, is hardcore. It's Tron Light Cycles on speed. Bring over Surround. What about Outlaw? Do you have Outlaw? Outlaw, Surround. Those are the games we play two-player. So what we didn't say is Jeff and I are playing on the Retron 77. We attempted to hook up two different 2600 Juniors and a 7800 to play today. All of them faulty. Um, we couldn't get Canyon Bomber to work. I mean, this is the state kind of of retro gaming now. Is it, It's not... Altogether, you know, uh, straightforward. You know, so you have to kind of work to do it if you want to play. If you want to play with real hardware, which is what we're trying to do, because we're, we're trying to get that feel back. You know, the nuance, um, the nuances that uh, that live in the vertical blank of actually hitting the buttons and the timing and all that is what we're trying to get while we sit down and play together. Try Pele soccer. That way we can get a Pele soccer. I loved Pele soccer. Again, I think it went to Target. It was Target, right? It wasn't still it was Fedmart. No, it was Target. And it was Target. I remember at Target, where they had a. I guess they blew out Atari games for two bucks a piece. One of them was Pele Soccer. Yeah. And the fireworks show blew my mind on this game. That's a great license. Is that the first sports license? Not sure. Uh, it's one. At least it's one of them, right? Yeah. Pele was a big deal for us, and we just learned to play soccer. Yeah. You know, just on a, our little AYSO soccer team. <laughs> I'm kicking the ball at the field. Are you? Angle! Good save! I mean, this is really AYSO soccer. It's like... This it is, should be called AYSO soccer. Yeah, because right? it's it's just a whole group of people following the ball around. Uh-oh. Oh, 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 oh. Should have been called American Soccer Circa 1976. It's just a, what you might see on the USA channel. Yes! Oh, fireworks! Oh, it's not... You know what? It doesn't look as good on here. It didn't have, it didn't have all the color. I'm sorry. I think it looked amazing. No, no. I mean, it, you, I thought the fireworks were forehead. No, the fireworks, there's no colors. Oh, okay. There's no colors, Jeff. Jeff, you're you're thinking of something else. Try again. You're thinking of of some other year. This is fireworks show, amazing fireworks show. Is that was good enough? I can't believe now, you, you even got talked a fireworks show when you scored. Yeah, it's awesome. 
Okay, like, I'm like, like, angle shoot! Like, what no, kind of, get out of the way! What amount of 2K memory was left over, a 2K of, of uh, cartridge space was left over to do that? You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of indoor soccer, too, because you bounce the ball off the walls. I think you can do both. Like, I think there might be a version where it bounces and somewhere does it. Yeah, it's it's kind of like indoor soccer. I should have called like, this, like, M-I-S-L. indoor soccer. Ah. Yeah, it should have been M-I-S-L or whatever. Except that didn't exist yet. It didn't. You're right. Um... Yeah! yeah! Fireworks Firework show. show! Okay, what game is next after that? Um, let's try Outlaw. You notice that all the games that, that we're kind of like partial to are all two-player games. Yeah. I mean, it's not like... I know we're going to... There, there isn't a, a deep subject on this one. We're, we're pushing it, like, banging it into the ground. We like to play two-player games. games. I, mean, the, <laughs> I don't mind playing, like, Galaxian and stuff. They're good games. But if I... The Atari right now is meant for me to play two-player games against people because... Yeah, but it was then, too. I mean, that's what we sat and played. What, Moving what? Destructible Wagon. <laughs> um, remember there was Mike, Mike Buckholt had his uh, Bally Arcade? I didn't and, remember that. And there was a game like this on there. Oh, because Bally... Well, Bally made the They made first, the real one. Yeah, they made, they made the, the, the real Gunfighter, one, the Gunfighter, I think. And Atari actually made one like this, but this was not like Atari's. This was more like the Bally one. This is... Yeah, this is more like the Bally one. Ah! I think yeah, even, the way uh, you even can, Jamie mentioned this, that in his book. This is... is about yeah, he did. No, well, yeah, we'll talk about Jamie. Eventually, we'll talk about Jamie. But, like, this... The way that you can bounce shots off the... Like, this game is a super challenge, and this is a fun game to play online. Well, yeah. I mean, we, could, we could play multiplayer. This... We both have Steam with this with this set of the set of games that we got for $20 but on the PlayStation 4 and Xbox they wanted you to pay twice Why for it. Why? That's weird. And, and then there's a third version coming that has some 50 to 100 games on it. I know, that's, that sounds there's really a 50 cool. 50 to version of, um, of Star Raiders because that one you could move that with it. They made it so you could move three, 360 degrees with the controller. Oh, they did? Yeah. Alright, so now we're going to go to we're going to play the last game of this game playing session. The surround, but let's say about Outlaw is really interesting because that is kind of our gun games outside, yeah. but literally, Thanks, but it didn't feel like it. Combat feels better. So this is another this is another public service message for everyone out there. If you got a Retron, um, and you you download the latest patch, what it's is, on Atari Age. It's Atari. You got to search Atari, Atari Age. Like you can go to Retron and download the latest, not the patch, but you, you have to build like a, an ISO style image to burn onto your your card that goes in it, the mini card. Then you get a full list rather than this. Yeah, and then you can list. you can put whatever you want on it, and it's it's easier. This is this is awesome. I know we haven't heard like this has not been an incredible audio experience for anyone because none of these games have incredible audio. But I mean, this is you know this is this is surround is basically Tron Light Cycles. But was, I mean but, you knew that when it came out. Yeah, but too. but was Tron out yet? No. No, God, no, Tron was now. That's what I'm saying. No, no, Tron Life Cycles was this game, right? I mean, that's the whole yeah, point. Yeah, Tron Life Cycles was what I mean. Which is Atari this is had not, Atari, this is an game, original game that Tron ripped off. Atari had a game in the arcade called Domino's, which I think is close to this. Oh, I see. I think Snafu, I think the one thing I like more about Snafu only was that... Snafu being what? Oh, sorry. Uh, oh, Snafu was the ah, television gotcha. version of this. Was that just looked a little better, right? Like... And it sounded a little better. But other than that, it's basically the same game. I will say that this game was actually more fun to play online than it is to play two people playing each other. So that's Surround. That was cool. I mean, that's that's a lot of the original games I think we sat and played together. On I mean, I wish I could have found more that worked. What I, I think is in, interesting is that after these initial set of 2600 games, when it got to the arcade games, the arcade games at home were a very solitary experience. 
but not in the arcade. The arcade was a very social experience, right? Where right. where lots of people were playing together or or watching each other play. So that's why I think like the social experience of the two player Atari twenty six hundred games, the social experience of being at the arcade, like that's that's what really excited us. When it became single player games, I think I kind of lost my my interest in interest a little in bit. video games a little bit. I mean, then we went to play the computer and it was different, you know, different style games. I really think we missed something. There's a missing something in modern games, not having a lot of two-player games that you can sit and play like this. Not sports games, but just other games that you can sit and together on the couch and play. So sit and just play is a good way to put it, too. You can do it with the game on the flashback. Fla- um, the Atari yeah, Vault and the flashback. The, the flashback it, is great, but you know, this isn't the selection. Like I, To me, the reason I like this is I love to pull out the cartridges. Yeah, I you know. You know what? A flashback with 125 games on it? I mean, two people want to play? It's that's fantastic, that's and that's fun. why they sell well. Yeah, but if if um, if you really want a new flashback, do not buy one at Target. Just go online and get one used on the goodwill. They're not they're 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 not used at all, and they cost like ten big bid and yeah, like, like ten, 10 bucks. bucks. So um, if you really want a flashback, what's the name of the one on the PS4? It's the same thing. Atari. It's, so it's, it's not Atari Volt. It's, it's something one and two. Yeah, I, and I just um, I got I've, that. I, I didn't get that. I, just, I I was gonna buy those. Instead, I bought the new version of Tempest on my PlayStation. <laughs> oh, I got to do that too. Oh man, the new version of Tempest. That's a whole other whole other whole other whole other. Okay, so now we got to get into a review of Jamie's book, um, yes. Adventure. Option review mode start. Hey, Steve. Hey, Jeff. We're here to talk about Jamie Landino's new book about the Atari 2600 called Adventure. Yes, I have it right here. I love this book. It's one of those books where you can just pick up and go to a chapter because it goes through sort of his history of Atari 2600 games with like a bunch of personal stories, which is really good. So it's sort of a history book along with a personal history so it's 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 done really well yeah i like that he adds in his own personal history of the game it as well it's a pretty good history of the 2600 and i like that he doesn't really go into a lot of the political machinations about atari which is what a lot of the books do yeah there's no Um, need to for anyone to rehash the history of atari again it's cool to have people that are writing things from their own perspective so that's why this and game life are so interesting because people are coming out um i know commodore came out and that was kind of the same thing that was years ago though but it was like he didn't that's rob rob o'hara rob o'hara he didn't rob didn't worry about the history of commodore right he just worried about like what he did with his commodore computer right and so i like that too i i think we're i mean and and let's not get wrong let's not get it wrong Uh, jamie does do some history stuff here but i like that he focuses on like the best games he also focuses Uh, on the games yeah the best games that's what i just that's what i just said which is in the 8-bit book he does a lot with that too but he does focus on 50 games at a certain point what is the 8-bit book called breakout breakout and what is it about breakout is how the atari 8-bit computers defined a generation and we'll get to that one soon but this one in the sort of context of going of history going forward 
the 2600 book would come first, I, I guess, but it doesn't really matter. We jump around anyway. This book is really good, and I want to talk to Jamie a little bit about, I think he mentions he didn't have anyone to play <laughs> So I want to talk a little bit about... Um, oh, he didn't have anyone to play Atari with? Yeah, I think that was mentioned in here. It may well, be maybe that's to... good. Maybe that's a dichotomy between playing with someone and playing alone, because right. for us it was really important to play games together. I mean, we played a lot alone as well, but I mean, the, the original playing of the VCS was all as a two-player game. It was right. all two-player games. Right, exactly. Until Breakout came out, and then it was like all super one player from then on. Yes, yes. And not all, but... Not all, but I mean, it was like every game had you side-by-side, side, really. Street Racer, remember the Number Cruncher from... I don't know. Oh, yeah, from Street Racer, Number Cruncher. That's what I was trying to get us to play in our game session, but we couldn't We couldn't get the game to work. Yeah. But here's, my, here's what I wrote down about okay. Jamie's book. I said, Jamie's book captures exactly how it felt to be part of the Vertical Blank Generation and own an Atari 2600. From his thoughts on Pac-Man to E.T. to Miss Pac-Man, he ultimately gets it. I'm using air quotes right now. Because he lived it. Jamie does not pull any punches. You can tell he loved Atari. And at the same time, carries similar wounds as us, those into the vertical blank wounds. Exactly. Those, wounds are not, those wounds are not exactly easy to explain. We have this whole podcast to try to explain them. That's what the end of the vertical blank is about. So my favorite part is when Jamie does a complete takedown of VCS Pac-Man. Uh, just like me, he has no time for it. He, I love how Jamie adds his own experience to the text. We have to agree that Pac-Man was terrible. And, and I, think, I think Jamie's close to our age, and we'll ask him that. I think there's something about being in junior high when Pac-Man came out, and, and there's something special about having to defend that against having your to defend and, and not being able to defend it, really. I mean, on its own, on its own, if you if Pac-Man had never come out in the arcade, some people argue that it would still be a good game, and I actually would still never play it. Oh, and it's not, terrible. The because, sounds are awful. Yeah. The fact that it doesn't rotate. I mean, there's so much bad about it right. that I, I disagree. I think that it that actually it's... People would have looked and go, "Ah, oh, this is um." And I have an original box game. game. And the pro- one of the one of the interesting things was that they the um the colors are are opposite. I know he even mentions this, but like the maze should be blue, right? Right. And then the background should be black. And you could have done that and made it look a little bit more like Pac-Man. Anyway, um, it's just could have been done. Anyway, the Atari, um, it's made up for with Pac-Man 4K and Pac-Man 8K that came out, you know, recently. You can play them on them as Yeah, well. I'm not talking about making up for, and, and with, I think, I think Miss Pac-Man, Pac-Man actually, they, they tried that, this is a GCC game. Yeah. And, and, they you tried know. to do it, but I mean, it didn't really matter. I mean, the damage was done. I think actually at the time that uh, Pac-Man came out, no kid really knew the capabilities of the Atari 2600. Like, yeah. no one really knew whether it could do a good job or not, right? We didn't know the upper bounds or the memory limitations or the sprite limitations. And so when it came out, and it was it, after such a fanfare and being so different, it was just so readily apparent that, like, something was wrong. Right. And it, it wasn't... I don't know how... It's very hard to describe, but it was... It being so disappointing made us realize that oh i just got this part 200 the thing i wanted for years and i suddenly realized that it was not what i really wanted right well i mean so we played the 2600 at in like 78 or 79 at carrie lenahan's house and 
and it was our first experience with home games. And then we got to really see what happened in the arcade. And then we got the 2600 late, like right in 1982, Christmas of 81, 1982. And even at that point, it was like, oh, the, uh, Eric Barth had the Intellivision for a year by then. And it was awesome, it, uh, comparatively so. And the Apple II, he had, we'd been playing on Apple II before that also. And then we really won an Atari computer after we had looked at the 2600 stuff. So <laughs> it was sort of, even though we had 100 original 2600 cartridges or more, supercharger, all those things, it still was like, oh, with every time it pushed the limit to do something slightly newer. We were so excited about it because someone was doing something that we hadn't seen before on it, but we because we had seen those things happen elsewhere. You know, a high score table, uh, I don't know, anything Activision did, didn't, I'm talking about high score tables, but Activision always called it push the limits with banding the screen in the, on the vertical, on the um, horizontal um, interrupts and horizontal blank to make nice horizontal lines of different colors and things like that. Right, I mean, that's, that's why the Activision stuff at the time looks so good because and a magic they, was great too. They just they understood. I mean, with both of those, they understood. Like they didn't they didn't have like the burden of trying to recreate arcade, arcade games. Yeah, arcade and games. so they could go, hey, look, you know what? If I can make a single line kernel, if I can, if I can exploit this uh, this vertical blank or the horizontal and vertical interrupts to what is it called the H blank or yeah. So there's an H blank and a V blank. So yeah. we're in so, the vertical blank. So yeah, but the H blank is is how they actually made cool stuff. But so being- at, well, both. So on the Atari twenty six hundred, you needed both, right? So when after you uh, you would have to time the line drawing across the screen. So that was during that was actually during drawing or during electron gun firing. So you would time it so at certain points you could put dip the same. You could reuse the same sprite on the same line if you the same play player on the same line. But also during the horizontal blank, meaning the time that it took for the electron gun to move back and start the next line, you had the same number of color clocks as you had to draw one line. So you had time in there to do stuff, to switch colors, to switch players. When it drew again, you could do something else. So that's a single line. If you drew the single line kernel, then you could do that on every line. Very, Still very difficult. Now, the V blank gave you a bunch of time draw, moving from the bottom to the top to do stuff also. So right. then the magic happened in all over the place on that screen. So I was just trying to say that those guys left Atari and they knew the trick. And they knew that they did not have to uh, replicate arcade games. And by doing it and using the horizontal lines to create their magic, they were able to create really cool stuff. And they knew the limitations and they knew what would work. Atari was then burdened with all the licenses they had to create, right? And all the licenses they bought and had to recreate. And probably most likely, I'm just, I'm guessing here that a bunch of marketing people and salespeople were involved in licensing a bunch of those games and never talked to the engineering department about whether they were possible. Right. And so you've got, when all the brain drain left Atari in the end of the 70s, you've got all those guys who could have told them, look, this is not close to the to, to what the VCS can do, let's swing in this direction. But all those guys are gone. The marketing guys thought they knew everything. They uh, they thought the licenses would be king, and they went in their direction, and the, the smart technical guys went in their other direction, and they ended up making some really cool stuff, and the guys who were left at Atari struggled with trying to recreate what was there. How, how history repeats itself. Yes, how history repeats itself. Option. Interview mode. Start. Can you hear me? Yes. yes. Hey, Jamie, how's it going? Yes. Good. Um, How are you? I'm doing good. So, Jamie, um, uh, Steve, and I are twin brothers. 
Yes. We've read your books and, you know, to start out, just getting your first breakout book uh, to a year and a half ago or two years ago, finding that somebody could somehow get an Atari 800 book published was just the greatest thing we've ever seen. So, so tell us about the process because that is not a self-published book, correct? Um, well, technically no, but <laughs> sort of, yes. It's, um, I worked for Ziv Davis, so I ended up doing a lot of it myself. We had a graphic designer and I had an editor and we had a whole bunch of, you know, we had several people involved, but we did publish the book like a self-published book. Like we used CreateSpace for it. Oh, oh, just coming through the company. All the Atari guys love your book, especially Adventure, which is the one we want to talk about today. Thank you very much. Um, Adventure, the reason Steve and I want to talk about it, not just because we were, we already discussed that we were going to do a sort of a book review, but we don't want to give too much away of, of books. But we just like books that are both personal and have some historical context. And yours sure. fit right in there, right? Like, like besides the 2600, you, for, for the adventure, you go through the timeline and your favorite games and the games that were there. But interspersed there are little Jamie stories, right? Yes. You being a professional writer, you know what to drop in there. And so it's just such a fantastic read. And we know that people can jump between chapters and things like that. But um, if they want to, I read it straight through, you know, I think Steve did too. But we just wanted to get, and I, I think I remember reading a little bit about you didn't have anyone to play with. So we did want to talk about two-player games, but I mean, everybody play with at home. But we did. We were going to talk about two-player games as part of this podcast, but that's not necessarily what we have to do. So, um, Okay. I mean, that was really only for combat in like the very beginning. Once I started having yes. friends over the house and then I had, you know, been, being in Brooklyn, people would walk around the corner and play games. So like, <laughs> as I got running, then it was a little bit better. But yeah, combat was always the frustrating one for me. Because you know? <laughs> there's no, no, no one player. Also. Yeah, no one player. Yeah. So first, I mean, I, I just let's um talk a little bit about the, the writing and the creating process of adventure. And then we can go into some discussion about the various games if you'd like to. Like I said, I don't want to give away too much of your book. I want people to, to not listen to it. I want them to, to buy it. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, no, I, I appreciate it. I um, I mean, basically, after coming up, coming off of Breakout, which was the one I wrote about the Atari 800, I uh, I just felt the need. I was like, I saw the 40th anniversary coming up, which, of course, I didn't make because, you know, that's how scheduling works. Yeah. I, um, I, I just wanted to tell because that, that's kind of how really I got started uh, before anything else with technology. Like I was five years old. Um, my, my memory's a little faded, but whether or not I was five or just turning six, it was something like that. But um, I just wanted to be able to document some of that and just go through all of the significant games that made the 2600 what it was. But there's always people that are like, oh, the 8-bit era didn't even start until the Nintendo. Don't even talk to me about Atari. It's like, yes. hold on a second. Like, <laughs> that's not how that works. First like, of all, you see the same processor, pretty much. Yeah, so. yeah seriously, right? And, and, yeah, it's like 13 pins, whatever. It's still the same thing. It's like, well, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to explain maybe to those people that was kind of my subtext, like you 35-year-olds that think everything started with the Nintendo – it talks on you, you know. <laughs> um, I have those feelings on a daily basis. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so yeah, I just I, I kind of wanted to address that, and I also just, I mean, even when we had it, we knew that it wasn't very good at a lot of things, especially as age. Yeah, we were exactly. we were just we were just discussing that, and and I don't want to I want to break up. We were talking about Pac Man, which is the thing I, I really want to talk to you about. Yes, the Pac Man yes. chapter is my favorite. So let's remember that and come come back to it. Oh boy! So no, we just 
it, it was something that even when I was in grade school, actually, what grade? I guess I would have been in fourth grade because I was nine. I was I was born in '73, so I just remember that being the the most uh, anticipated release. You know, the way people talk about Overwatch or the way people talk about Fortnite, right. or, like that was like probably the first big release I remember happening with any kind of software, which I didn't even call it that. I think when I had the party. Yeah, but I you think know. my dad called them tapes. So oh anyway. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think even one time on Usenet, I I went to sell some. Atari, I remember this because I, I went to sell some Nintendo games later on, like when I was like twenty or eighteen, and I actually wrote Nintendo tapes, and people were killing me. And, and, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't even know why I did that. I know they're not tapes. I think I just had it internalized, you know. Yeah, from your parents calling them like you know tapes yeah. or or there really yeah. tapes on the floor, you there, know. Like so. there used to be. Um, the Recycler magazine. I'm pretty sure you had it out there too. And when Steve and I were looking for like Ataris or Atari 800s to buy in the Recycler, we'd always find like, you know, Atari BCS with 20 tapes or whatever. <laughs> it was like, that's the guy to buy from. He doesn't know what he has. Anyway. Totally. Totally. <laughs> yeah, it was funny that that's what we thought it was. But no, I just, it, I just remember Pac-Man being just this thing. Like, I used to stand on a crate to play it. I'm not a tall guy, you know, now. And I definitely wasn't a tall guy when I was seven. And, like, I used to stand on a, something just to even get up to the machines. Like, I was just dying to have this cartridge, you know. And they right. were talking about it, I guess. I forget. I feel like Atari Age came out. The, the magazine was probably right around that time. So yeah, I, I think it started, like, right in right at the end of 81 um, or the, yeah. in the beginning of 82, which is about that time. Yeah, and uh, it, I, it was sad to hear that the editor passed away. He was young. Like, oh, I really, didn't know that. Yeah, Steve Morganson, I think his name is. Like, yeah, he's... Yeah, no, it's sad. Um, but he, he, but it was a great magazine, and I can't remember if that's where I learned. It. That's the thing. That's the trick about writing a memoir type thing when you're, you know, when you're going back this far. I don't know if it was all the beer or whatever. I don't know what it was, but <laughs> I don't remember every last detail. But anyway, I just knew the cartridges are coming out. It was just the biggest thing, and it was just such a crushing disappointment to get what we got. Yeah, like you, you, you kind of wanted it to be, you wanted it to be great. You know, back then you didn't want to get on the internet in five minutes and go, this sucks. Like, you, you didn't have that instinct that you right. do now. No, I, I remember we, you know, and this is from reading your book. I was so ha happy when you, when I read your part because you were there just like we were. And um, there's a lot of, like, um, uh, I think rewriting of history. It's like, oh, the, the Pac-Man's not that bad. We play it now. It's not that bad. I don't think people understand what a crush it was when it, was. it came out. Like, yeah. how, how... It, I, we didn't really know the capabilities of the 2600. Jeff and I were talking about this as kids. Like we had no idea what it could do or what it couldn't do. And, and, and there were some bright spots in games. We were like, okay, well that's, that's pretty good. Like Miss, missile command, for example, where it looks almost identical to the arcade game, at least, at least oh, in yeah. our eyes. Yeah. And uh, then Pac-Man comes out and it's, it's not just like it looked and sounded bad. It, it, it was just a crushing disappointment. We're like, Oh, I see this really can't do what I thought it could do. Yeah. It's like and, a shitty jawbreaker, you know, like, I had, like it could have had some other name other than Pac-Man. Yeah, exactly. Anything. Exactly. Yeah. Anything. Crazy Auto would have been a good name. So, Jamie, um, you started with the 2600, and when – so, why you go through a little bit of um, – let's talk about what Kevin Kevin Savage might do if he was interviewing you. How did you oh. start with um, – the? how did you start with the 2600 and computers, and how far did you go with Atari when you were um, – when you were uh, – when you were a lad – did you go all the way to the ST? Did you go yes. further? Yes. I'm actually not so secretly working on an ST book now. That's going to be the oh, third one. Beautiful. So, yeah. 
I don't think I actually announced that anywhere, but yeah, that's what I'm working on now. Because I've been, I've been kind of doing these by myself and then just releasing them. I haven't been telling people. I've been purchasing ST books off the internet, so I have the Gem Programmer's Manual now. Oh, very nice. Uh, I have the internals right here. Oh, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I have the internals one right here. Oh, very good, very good. Wait. There's internals right there. Yeah, anyway. There you go. Um, but I'm also, I, uh, yeah, so anyway, I, I don't want to, I'm also trying to learn Mega Max C right now because I want to make a game not in Stoss. So nice. Right, I want to hear Jamie's history. Yeah, I want to hear Jamie's history too. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, I got the 2600 first. I, I, I mean, I had what now everybody's overprotective with their kids. I had overprotective parents back when nobody really did that. They didn't like me going out. So they just tend to buy me a lot of things as long as I sat in the house and played with them. You know, just being Brooklyn, maybe that was a good idea. But, <laughs> Not now, not Brooklyn yeah. now, right? Yeah, now, now I can I can't even afford to breathe the air in parks. <laughs> yeah, now. So, but back then I had, so I had the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. I got the Intellivision. I got a bunch of systems. People got to see me writing ten books and be like, "Where did you get all this stuff?" And like, yeah, I had them. I, I was actually lucky that way. But I had I had the Twenty Six Hundred, and then I got the Eight Hundred, which was the I, I got actually had a Four Hundred for about a week, and then we exchanged it for an Eight Hundred. Good. So time. I did. The, so the 2600, yes, the typing on the thing was something else. So the, uh, so I had the 2600 probably for a few years first, and then I got the 800 in like 1982, I think it was. And then I uh, started a BBS in 84, and I ran it on that for a few years, um, which is a lot 11 years old. Yeah, yeah, I did. I mean, a lot of us, I think, were pretty young. I think the old kids were like 13 running BBSs. That's that right. Was us, right? right? <laughs> <laughs> You know, and I wanted to be them so much. Um, I understand. Yeah. So so I did that for a few years. And then I got the ST. I got one of the first ones in late 85. I got one of the ones that you had to boot it from a disc. It didn't have Toss oh. and Rom yet. So it had like this kind of, kind of funny uh, rainbow display with the B showing when it would load up off the disc before it would boot into the desktop. Interesting. And uh, then we got the ROM chips later on. And I had that probably until 89 or so. And then I made my, my main computer a PC. So I kept all the Atari stuff for years after that. Um, but I was pretty much all Atari for about 10 years. You know, 79, I guess 79 to like 89 or 90. And then I just had them kind of in the background after that. And then how did you get into, you work for Ziff Davis. How did you get into be, to be a professional writer? Or is that oh. what you do? Yeah. Oh, that's what I do. Yeah. I'm, I, I run a extreme tech and for years I read, I wrote for PC mag and I reviewed phones and electronics and all sorts of stuff. Um, I started with that. I was an it guy for about six years. That's where I lost most of my hair was getting, <laughs> getting up at two in the morning, going into wall street to like fix servers. Oh. And then I, I hate this. So then I tried to be a musician, um, which I still do. I still help my wife produce things. I still, uh, I review uh, digital audio workstation software for PC mag on occasion still. I was a failed musician. I worked on sound for some early mobile video games and some stuff for a while. And then around when I was like 30, I was like, okay, everything sucks. I got to do something different. And I started, I started pitching magazines. I started writing for magazines. So that's how I got into that. Starting around 2004 or so, 2003, I started writing for magazines. And then I've been doing that ever since. I've been running ET now since 2015. So like, wow, great. Well, it's good to have someone at Extreme Tech who had an Atari 800. That's all I have to say. Yeah, at the time, it was extreme tech. It, it really was. It was really the first gaming PC. It was the one that had, oh, yeah. it had you know, you had the CTIA, you had, uh, it had the, the custom chips. It had Pokey. And it, and, yeah, yeah. And, and, thank you, I was blanking. But like, yeah, it had four into the vertical blanking. Um, <laughs> what do you call it? Yeah, it had four separate chips to do the job of what would have been one chip. 
at the time, you know, plus whatever video output. So it just, was just a, it was a phenomenal idea. And that kind of continues today when people are talking about the GTX 1080. And, you know, if you have a Sound Blaster, which you don't really need anymore, but you have a Sound Blaster card on the, you know, inside, you, you, that, that's kind of the same idea that the Atari 800 had in 1979. It feels to me like the time has passed for these all-encompassing history books about video games. It feels like your, the, your approach to taking a smaller subject and blowing it out is the way of the future. But I want to know what, get your feelings on that. I think that's what it is, is that, I mean, there, there really wasn't necessarily a heyday for the books. I feel no. like, the, <laughs> you know, you have to be kind of a special nerd, special kind of nerd to do this. I, I feel like there's a lot of room to tell more of the stories. Like we've got, you know, the 800 had a really good fact you know, by uh, Michael Curran for many years. Right. Um, yeah. So, so breakout off the top of your head, what, besides Pac-Man, what was your, what's another game that when it came out, you were, you got on the Atari 2600 and it really drove your excitement further that, Hey, this is as good as the Intellivision or this is as good as one of my other systems that my friends have, or did that never happen? Ooh. Um, well, yeah, I feel like the heyday for the machine was 81, 82. Like, I mean, definitely before that when, when it was brand new. But I think by then when you got Asteroids, you got Missile Command, those other machines, the only one that was really out for a couple of years was the Intellivision. And even that was a few years after the, the 2600. So I don't think at the time I felt like until 82 that I started thinking, oh, this is a phenomenal game. Um, I think I was just interested in the games by themselves. Right. After 82 and 83, then you'd see the ColecoVision version, and then you'd see the Intellivision version, and you'd see the other one to go, oh, those are actually a little bit better in some ways. Yeah. Um, but what's a, what's a good example? Uh, I mean, I, I was waiting for Asteroids when that came out. I remember that was phenomenal. Warlords, I remember the two of them together were kind of pushed. They were kind of around, around the same time. They were marketed together. So now, Astro- Warlords, did you play that with more than one person? I think I played it with just one. I don't one other person. I don't think I played it with four. Well, that would have been even yeah. two is good. Yeah, yeah. Even so, two. Uh, is good. Yeah, two. Yeah, even yeah. That was a, that was a great game too. But yeah, th- those were still great. Uh, I mean, Space Invaders was the first one that blew me away. You know, because I got that and I was like, oh my god, this is. I played that all the time. I mean, it's ridiculous how much I played that. <laughs> well, and it's it's amazing too, right? The I'm not sure how many variations there are. A hundred. Um, it's crazy how much oh, was packed oh. into that game. That. The, the guy who programmed that, and he also programmed Maze Craze, was an absolute genius. Yes. Into the Atari. There's yes. one thing I about remember those Atari his games. There's one thing that Steve and I have discussed about this when um, and maybe Nintendo did one thing, besides everything else they may have done it right, they did one thing right was instead of making multiple variations, they just went and made levels that did the new stuff. Now, some game like like Space Invaders said, okay, now the next level, you, the, the invaders are invisible. And the next level, you know, you have shots that fire diagonal or whatever it was. Right. Well, Phoenix had an emboss. Phoenix was like a yeah. first yes, Phoenix. Oh, yeah. When they got, when they got to the yeah. Phoenix part, yeah, they did that, right? There, there, suddenly you started getting Atari games later on that were, there were no variations and the, the yes. difficulty switches did nothing. And so right. that's when they were sort of, okay, we're building difficulty in as you progress rather than you know as part of variations or different even breakout or super breakout if you could go through the levels it would have been really interesting too that's just that's just really a like you know 2020 hindsight right but well we didn't know at the time i mean you had such beautiful designs like tempest and joust and marble madness there were all these games coming out obviously those weren't for all you listening at home those weren't all on the 2600 but (laughs) 
Jealousy. The idea that people were trying, yes, yes. But people were trying such innovative things because there was nothing before it, you know? And it started to get to the point now, you know, I, I tend to be like, oh, get off my lawn about games to play. But, you know, you play for an hour before you can even play. You got to have tutorials. There's only certain genres that seem to do well. The indie game scene is great on the PC and yeah. um, I think on the consoles, you can get some of the indie games. Some of that's great. But all the AAA titles are all very formulaic at this point. You could really piss uh, younger gamers off by saying that the 2600 was faster than the PS4 because you could start playing right away. Right away, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Plug in the cartridge. Yes, exactly. I actually, um, I got Tempest 4000 and I like it, but I still find myself going back to the Atari 800 cartridge I purchased from Video 61 of Tempest Elite or, or Tempest Elite yeah. Plus because I can use the driving controller to completely spin around. Oh, yeah. the, and so it's like, so there's nothing else can compare to using the driving controller to spin around the maze. Nothing. There's no, and it's only because there's that one potentiometer that doesn't stop. Right, and if right. it if, if if they had didn't the have that, makes all the difference. Yeah, that makes all the difference exactly. This is why my house is a mess because I have <laughs> crazy controllers for every last. Oh, I, oh, I want to play centipede. I got to plug in the X arcade now, and I got to <laughs> like I'm always changing the controller because that's just so much of the experience, you know. Yeah, the control definitely is. Jamie, so so there were there were the books like First Quarter and and uh, Atari Business is Fun and. Phoenix. Like that. Yeah, Phoenix. What what drove you to write this particular take on the 2600? I just wanted to write, I mean, it's a cliche to say you want you write the book you want to read, but right. that's kind of what it was. Like, the, a, a lot of people, like Kevin Savitz, and, and like, are doing phenomenal work interviewing people, and then, like, you know, second tier and third tier, and going and finding everybody, and I feel like that's, that's, that's great, and that tends to drive your narrative, right? But so you, you, you tend to go by what they're telling you, and then you run with that, and you learn new things. And that was wonderful. And I'm basically, I'm an introvert. I'm, I'm not somebody who goes out and, and interviews a lot of people. I've never been a good reporter. I've always been somebody to review products for, like, PC so, Mag, whatever. I've never been one to go to all the events and interview people and talk to them. And I, I just wanted to write something. I was trying to capture what it was like, what made me so happy playing these games when I was a kid. And, and, and experiencing this for what I felt was, you know, it, it felt new and exciting, even even though I had nothing to compare it to because I was young. You know, I, I, I didn't know how exciting it was, but it just felt exciting. And I wanted to see if I can just capture that somehow and and make it also about the system, not necessarily about me, but about the system. I'll, I'll put in my little Jamie stories, as you put it. But I um I wanted to just capture that, like, and, and say, rather than interviewing and finding out how it was made, I wanted to just talk about the effect on the player. And like, right. like, like we've read a lot about the political machinations of Atari and it, you know, it gets, that gets folded in and under all the time, new stuff comes out and this is a myth here or a myth there, but, right. but hardly in those big books, does anyone ever talk about the games? Like that's, the thing that actually mattered. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. I wanted to be like, if, especially if somebody says, I want to set up a 2600 again, like they can read about the games in the book. Right. And they about, and, and. Yeah, actually, that's, that's really what it was. It was more the experience. The same with Breakout, where where you have your fifty favorite games in the back end. I have I took those exact fifty and made a folder of them on oh, on my cartridge on my on Ultimate Cart, and I have like Jamie's fifty <laughs> has the fifty best games, and then I also have a from the games that you described in in um, Adventure. I have on my Harmony Cart. Jamie's, I think it was 75 or whatever it was. I don't know exactly how many it was, but I have just those because then I know I can go back to your description and read it 
and then play the game if I don't know what the game was or something like that. That so. makes me so happy. Like, that's exactly what I was trying to do. Like, What is your favorite game by Atari that wasn't a um, an arcade conversion? And what was your, and, and also, what was your favorite ar- arcade conversion? Well, favorite not arcade would probably have to be, uh, it's gonna, I'm going to have to equivocate, but it's several, but uh, definitely Yard Revenge was phenomenal. Uh, Adventure was phenomenal, even though that wasn't a, it was a server, it was like a PDP yeah. loving game, but it wasn't a, a you know, a, a graphical game, you know, on a console before. So I love those. For the arcade conversion, probably Miss Pac-Man was just such a sigh of relief. Yeah. Like, that we got it and we're like, the side ah, of relief. there we go. Yes, you know? I agree with you. Like, once you got it, you're like, oh, this is worth my twenty three ninety five or whatever it cost at the time. You know, like, yeah, fine. Yeah, a lot of those silver label ones were great. Like, uh, Phoenix was phenomenal. Uh, and that was a great arcade game, too. Even And that was an early, like, a 1980, I think, arcade game. So it was a couple of years before it came out on the 2600, but that was a great one. Uh, Asteroids was just great. Even though I loved the vector graphics to death on, in the arcade, the, the way the 2600 handled it was great. And it yeah. played really well. You know, like, yeah, I, I, there was a lot. Of, I, I could give you 20 probably. No, I know. I just, I just want to get what you thought because, you know, as in revisionist history, I love, I, I love, of course, Miss Pac-Man. But I love Galaxian. I never had it. And oh, sure. The way they created it, it's better than the Atari 100 version of Galaxian. <laughs> it's surprising. Yeah, that one I actually didn't have as a kid. It was one of the few ones I didn't have, and I was uh, I was playing it. I was like, wow, this is actually really good on the 2600. <laughs> Right now, not not looking at what are your what do you think your top ten Atari twenty six hundred games are at this moment? Even considering homebrew or anything else that you've been able to come across, uh, you have some top. You don't have to be ten. Just what are your top games that you would think of right now if you want to play an Atari game? Space Invaders, Asteroid, uh, Adventure, Phoenix, uh, Miss Pac Man, Missile Command. Hell no, Pac Man. Um, <laughs> I have to make sure I make that emphatic. Exactly, emphatic. Um, that was like six. Uh, let me think. What else? Uh, Chopper Command was good. Yes. Uh, Keystone Capers, Kaboom, uh, great. And I think I probably got one more in there. Did you ever? Did you ever like River Raid? Were you a River Raid fan? Because yes, I loved River Raid. Yeah. yeah. yeah we got Shop. River Raid, and we're all, "What the hell is this? <laughs> this is amazing! <laughs> this is it awesome! Was so, it was so good." Um, yeah. Oh, and in Magic, I left out in Magic. So then, Demon Attack. I'm already over ten now. Uh, no, it doesn't matter. I just want to see what you're talking right now. So, did you um, did you compare yeah. Chopper Command to Defender when you were a kid? Uh, yeah. Uh, maybe maybe like it's kind of like a dim bulb. Like, oh, this is kind of like Defender. But um, at that time, that was happening with everything. Like there were right. so many clones of popular games. I didn't think Defender was bad when I was a kid, the way I understand it now that it wasn't great now. Like, the fact that you disappeared every time you shot. But that's okay. I mean, that's a, it's really yeah. more about how you felt back then, right? I mean, if it came out and it was a success, that's great. And that's the opposite of Pac-Man. That's the, re, that's the revisionist history, right? It's like yeah. Pac-Man was, was a killer at the time and not in a good way. And if, if you like Defender, that's cool, right? That's, I like Vanguard. Yeah. I thought it was amazing. And I kept reading reviews how terrible it was. I'm like, but I think this is great. Yeah, Vanguard was awesome. This made yeah, up. Vanguard was really good. Stargate made up for anything that happened with Defender, though. This is a fantastic game on the 2600. That was a great game. And also, Defender for the 800 was the first time I saw the 800 yes. totally show up 2800. I was like, wow, this is so much closer to the arcade. Right, you exactly. Know, the explosions and the pixel effects. Now there's all sorts of names for that now. With uh, yeah, of course. But uh, yeah, at the time, I was like, wow, this is so much closer. Which, of course, what you mentioned was really important to us at the time. It, like, the arcade was, the, was sort of the... Uh, the uh, that was the thing to achieve, right? That was the dream, yeah, yeah. 
So Jamie, um, your book is very professionally done. Can you explain a little bit about uh, about the aspects of the professional publishing process that, that were to your advantage? Sure. Um, there are several pieces that you basically need to do. Amazon makes it very easy to just put up a book, you know, if you want to, or, or Lulu or one of the other, there are several services that do this. I think Book Baby is another one. But even though you have the power to put up a book just on your own and upload the copy and call it a day and publish it, you really need several pieces to have it to, to look like a professional product. And one of them is editing. You need an editor. You need a cover designer. And uh, the cover designer is not the same as the photographer. You need a professional photo, um, which is what I did for all of these. And also you need the layout. The layout I actually taught myself. Um, so that part I did, uh, I spent just a ton of trial and error. It's just a lot of time. Yeah, it, you, you know, there's a huge difference between the, the result of your book and what you see some, from other books that are self-published i guess right huge difference right the the cover for one i mean cover you think you don't judge a book by its cover but people do now like absolutely do so yeah so that was a very nicely done thank you yeah the the one thing uh i don't know if i would have changed anything but the one thing i've noticed is a few people now have told me that they thought my book was about the cartridge adventure because <laughs> we, you know we pulled the uh the font and you know we put the i put the cartridge on the cover when we did the photo shoot and you know, it's not. It's about the twenty six hundred, and it's that's about just the adventure of owning an Atari twenty six hundred. Exactly. Overall, it's not just about. But I could see how they would. Although that should have yeah, sold yeah. more based on how much I was able to sell an adventure cartridge for on um on uh after after Ready Player One. I guarantee you there will be a book about adventure at some someday because it'll get that nichey about this topic. Oh sure, and and it might be a really good one. You know, it's hard. It's hard. To, I mean, we just there's one for Missile Command now, right? Which I, yes. I, I, but yeah. Well, yeah, there was one about Missile Command. You're right. Yeah. There's a so lot cool. to talk about. All right. Well, I, I do need to get going, Jeff. Jamie, it was so good to talk to you. Hopefully, we can do this again about the 800 and the Atari ST when we get there. Awesome. Yes. That sounds awesome. great. Thank you for having me. Select. Thanks, Mode. Start. All right, Atari podcast listeners. Thank you very much for making it all the way through this episode of Into the Vertical Blank. Generation Atari, Episode 7, Season 1, Side by Side, Playing Together. I'd like to thank some of our friends and podcasters out there, especially Jim Fullerton, who's always been a huge supporter of the podcast, Near Dairy, personal friend, and just an Atari community superstar, Karen Hawken, who creates some of the best Atari content out there. Also, I'd like to talk about some of our favorite podcasts and give them a shout-out. The Antic Podcast, about the Atari 8-bit computers. The Atari Bytes Podcast, one of the most creative podcasts in the Atari community. The Growing Up 80s Podcast. The Intellivisionaries Podcast. The Inverse Ataski Podcast, that covers both Atari 8-bit productivity and Atari ST productivity, and every once in a while a game or two. The Pie Factory Podcast. The Player Missile Podcast, which hasn't come out in a long time, but I got my fingers crossed. I'd be remiss not to talk about Reply All, which is probably the best podcast in existence and should be listened to by everyone. Back to Atari Podcast, we have the Atari 2600 Game by Game Podcast, the granddaddy of them all by the incredible Ferg. Both Atari 5200 Podcast, the Atari 5200 Podcast, and the Atari 5200 Super Community Podcast, the Atari 7800 
Game by Game podcast was now defunct, but you should still listen to it. The Atari 7800 Homebrew podcast. The Atari Jaguar Game by Game podcast. The Atari Lynx Handicast. The XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. The XLXE podcast. And the Floppy Days podcast, along with many others. There are many other great Atari podcasts out there. One other note. We'd like to hype a podcast by a writer friend of ours. That would be the Writer Types podcast. All about indie noir mystery writing by the great S.W. Loudon. Better known as Steve Coulter, along with his friend Eric Bolger. They do a great podcast about mystery noir novels. A special thanks goes out to Jamie Landino for letting Steve and I talk to him this time. He's a fantastic interview, fantastic friend, and we'll have a lot more from him in the future. You can get to us on on Facebook at Into the Vertical Blank. You can get to us at the www.8bitrocket website. You can get to us by simply... Twittering Steve. That sounded weird. By simply sending a tweet to Steve at FultonBot. You can send a tweet to Jeff. That's me. At 8BitRocket. You can send a tweet to the podcast at Atari underscore VB underscore pod. Until episode 8, have fun playing games, reading books, and listening to podcasts in the vertical blank. Into the vertical blank. Select podcast remix mode. Start. Hi, this is Steve. Together, I think Jeff can get his stupid machine hooked up.
Next frame calculated. Prepare to write new data. V blank ending.